Who here has read the book of Revelation? Okay, a couple of people. So, I invite you over the course of the next seven weeks to start opening it up. It is definitely an interesting read. Completely different to pretty much anything else you find in the Gospel, except for some particular passages in the Old Testament. And we're going to start today looking at what does it mean to read the book of Revelation. Now, because it's such a complicated and um, I guess a hard thing to do. So we're going to have, if you're interested, a fortnightly discussion. So they'll be held not this Sunday, but starting next Sunday at our place um, from 3.30 to 5. Um, just a chance to engage and discuss and share together, um, partly about the, what we've been hearing about, but also, I guess, anything in part of our life of following God. So it'll be at our place, and kids are welcome just to come and play if, uh, if parents want to bring the kids and participate. So I invite you to that if you want to actually engage a bit more and also discuss around it rather than just um, a one-way, what I say. Okay. Revelation is a bit like the invitation of Neo, uh, of Morpheus to Neo in the Matrix. He offers him two pills. And he says, if you take the blue pill, the story ends here, and you wake up and everything goes back to normal. But if you take the red pill and you go into Wonderland and I'll show you how deep the hole is and you'll never be the same. Revelation is an invitation into a way of seeing the world from God's perspective which can upset us and change us. It's an invitation to go out of our point of view and go and see the world from God's perspective talk more about what that means and what that looks like. But it's essentially a way to see the world spiritually, if you want to use that word. It's a different way of thinking and looking. Okay, just to start off, who wrote Revelation? Now, it says John. We don't know exactly who that John was. Um, the John was a guy we think was name was John the Elder, possibly the same person who wrote the Gospel of John, but not necessarily the Apostle John. There's too many Johns floating around. Um, but... And when was it written? Our best guess is in the the period around 90 to 100 AD. But once again, that's not certain, but that's our best guess. Now, it's important when we start this to say, when we read Revelation, we must read Revelation in the light of the revelation of the rest of the New Testament. Which means, when we interpret God's love, we interpret it through the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament as we read Revelation not the other way around. Sometimes people take Revelation and try and interpret the rest of the New Testament from Revelation. Revelation comes after we know who God is in Christ through the testimony of the apostles, from the teaching of Paul, and then we read Revelation. Particularly because some of the imagery is different and a bit more violent, we have to understand its spiritual picture, its painting, and understand that who God is, is the God revealed in Jesus in the Gospels. So if you're going to read Revelation, you've got to do it, reminding yourself as you go back through the Gospels, this is who God is talking about. Particularly when we come to the passages about judgment, and we'll look in them in about in a week three about what that means and how that looks. Okay, so what is Revelation? When you start to read a book of the Bible, if you're studying it, the first thing is to know what am I reading? What type of writing is it? What's it meant to be? There's different sorts of writing in the Bibles, poetry, History, prophecy, testimony, 
and they're all meant to be read differently. You don't read Psalms in the same way that you read the prophet Isaiah or Deuteronomy. They're different. So how do we read Revelation? Well, Revelation is a bit different. It's three types of things in the same time. It's a letter, it's a prophecy, and it's also apocalypse. If you read the beginning of Revelation, it talks about a letter to seven churches, and indeed it has a word of prophecy for the seven churches. Those churches are in Asia Minor, um, currently modern-day Turkey, and you can see them up on the board there, the, they were called then. And you can see the seven churches that are on a route that a messenger would take. And that's the order that they're listed in in Revelation in the chapter 1 and 2 and 3. John the Elder was a guy who was the elder of the church responsible for that region. These are the churches that he is in, I guess, the spiritually um, in charge of. They have the ministers, but he is known in those churches and he is pastorally responsible for them. So the whole book of Revelation was actually a letter to all of those churches. Because you read the letters in the first three chapters and think, well, maybe that's only the letter. Actually, the whole book of Revelation is a letter to each of those churches and to the wider church. Now, as you read in, you'll see that in the first few um, chapters it has words of prophecy. Now, in the New Testament times, when they talk about prophecy, they're not so much talking about predicting the future. When the prophets spoke in New Testament worship, what it was, it was saying, uh, prophets believing that the Spirit of God was upon them, saying, I have a word of the Lord for you or for us. They were speaking on God's behalf. That's what it meant to prophesy. Not so much to tell the future, though sometimes it did involve that. But the main thing was says, here is a message that God is giving me for you. That is what prophesy means mainly in the New Testament. And the first chapters are prophetic words of John to the early churches. He says, here is a word of the Lord for you. The seven churches each have a word of the Lord for them. But then, Revelation, this is what it's most famous for, is also an apocalypse. What does that word mean? Now, we think about apocalypse meaning end of the world, you know, everything going, and it's come to mean that. That's not actually what it means in the technical term of Greek. The word apocalypse in Greek means to reveal, to show. But as a particular meaning, it means to reveal or show by unveiling. Now, if you can imagine, you know, you go to a, a famous art show and they're revealing a new painting and it's up on the wall but it's hidden by a sheet. Not that I've ever been to any of those art shows, but you can imagine what it's like. And so everyone's talking and there's this thing going on, but everyone's waiting for the time when they go up and then the pull of a cord, the curtain drops and the painting's revealed. Revealed by unveiling. That is what the word apocalypse means and that is what Revelation about. It says, I want to show you something by pulling away the veil by revealing what is already there, but I want to show it to you by revealing it to you. You couldn't see it before, but now I am showing you. Does that sort of make sense? Reveal by unveiling. Okay. In that verse we just read from um, in chapter 4, where John is called up into heaven, a door opens in heaven, and God calls him up and says, come up here, and I will show you what must take place. 
everything we have written from after this point is like John is in heaven and he is now seeing earth and human history from heaven's point of view. So he is now in heaven seeing what we are doing, what is happening in human history, but now he sees it with God's eyes. That is what Revelation is about. The truth of what is our history, he now sees it unveiled from God's perspective. Once again, we'll talk more about this as we go. And this creep thing, John keeps talking about seeing. And what does it mean to see? And the revel- imagery in Revelation, as you go through it, is symbolic rather than literal. For instance, it talks about the seven spirits of God before the throne. Are there seven Holy Spirits? No. There's one Holy Spirit. Why does John say seven? Because it's symbolic. The number seven pops up a lot of times in Revelation. Seven is God's number, the holy number, the number of completeness. So seven spirits represents the complete nature of God's spirit standing before the throne and through creation. That's why he uses seven, not because there's actually seven different spirits, but because it means something. It symbolizes something. Another way of thinking about it is this. In chapter 4, it talks about the lamb standing as if slaughtered. Now, if you think about that literally, what does that mean? How does a lamb stand as if slaughtered? It doesn't actually make sense to think about it literally, but I guess you can all guess what it means. What does the lamb standing as slaughtered mean? Who is it? Jesus. We straight away, when we read that, the lamb standing as if slaughtered, we know exactly what John is seeing. He's seeing a picture of Jesus, the crucified and risen Christ. But he uses that symbolic language, and straight away in our head a picture, the lamb as standing as if slaughtered. That's Jesus, the crucified risen. So that whole talk about John when he sees is more like, you know when you don't know something, someone explains something to you, and then you go, oh, now I see. Now I understand. When John talks about seeing, that's what he means. Not seeing literally necessarily. So he saw some amazing vision that we cannot fully understand. But what he's trying to communicate is what he saw, what he understood, what God revealed to him. And he uses descriptive imagery to do that. A woman riding on a beast, a sword in the mouth, literally doesn't, it's not about the literal stuff of what it symbolizes. The sword in the mouth of Jesus, the word of God. A thousand years, an eon, a millennium. I didn't bring the book out, but one thing that is key as we look through all this stuff is that John is unique in the Old Testament. Revelation is unique. It is the only book in the Old Test in the New Testament that does not quote the Old Testament. Every other gospel, letter of Paul, every other part of the New Testament quotes the Old Testament at some point. Revelation does not quote anything from the Old Testament. It does not quote anything else. Yet almost every verse is dripping in allusions and imagery of the Old Testament. John knew his Hebrew and his Greek Old Testament back to front. He knew it all. And when you read Revelation, if you don't know the prophets, if you don't know it, you will miss a lot of things. That's why when I read Revelation, Revelation in my Bible is like 15 pages. I have a commentary that's 1,200 pages trying to explain all the different aspects. It's full of Old Testament imagery. When John 
was told to write what he saw. Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. What he did is he wrote down using his knowledge of the scripture, writing stuff, describing what he saw in a way to help people understand. So through John, there's references in the visions to um, imagery from Ezekiel, from Daniel, from Isaiah, Deuteronomy, from the Psalms, uh, pretty much the whole Old Testament. If you know your Old Testament and you read it, you say, ah, oh, that's that, that's that. That's one of the hard things why Revelation really needs to be studied. But he's trying to do that by linking what he's seeing back into the Old Testament. Okay. So, one thing I want to say, if you have seen the movie The Matrix, The Matrix is actually an apocalyptic piece of film. In The Matrix, if you watch it, there's a good way to understand what's happening in the book of Revelation. There's a guy, um, Anderson, and he lives what he thinks is a normal life in the 20th century world. But then, takes the red pill, and he realises, and he's shown that everything he thinks is real is not actually real. This is what the world actually looks like. It is revealed to him the truth. Apocalyptic, revealed by understanding. And it's full of sick. So it's a good movie to watch, but it's a current apocalyptic piece of literature. Okay, so Revelation. What does it look like? What's it about? At the end of Daniel. Now, in Daniel is the only other stuff of apocalyptic literature in the Bible. And Daniel is actually an interesting uh, book. So, in our Bibles, it's Daniel's put amongst the prophets. But actually, in the Jewish scriptures, Daniel's not part of the prophets, he's part of the writings. And Jewish tradition has it, the book of Daniel is a book about the prophet Daniel that was written later, written after the time of the prophets. In Jewish understanding, the time of the prophets finished. And God had no longer was speaking through the prophets. And in that period from about three or 400 BC through to the time of Christ, what started to appear was a different sort of writing, a very different sort. What was we now call apocalyptic writings, and Daniel is part of that. Enoch is another book um, that has that, and they're a very different type. Anyway, in Daniel, so it's the la- one of the last books in the Old Testament. And it has, when one of Daniel's final visions, he's told by an angel, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. So Daniel's final vision is, he sees a vision, but he's not allowed to tell us what it is. It's written in the scroll, the scroll is sealed, it's in heaven. So that's how the book of Daniel finishes. Revelation chapter 5 opens. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll written on the inside and the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaim with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. The same scroll is now being opened. So John straight away is saying, this is the time of the end. What was hidden before is now being revealed. So the whole book of Revelation takes on that sense that it is revealing what was before hidden so that we might know. Gone through that. 
So how do we un how do we interpret and understand? Very briefly, the different ways of interpreting the book of Revelation. First is what's called the historicist view. The Revelation is chronicle. They're, if it's you know if it's in chapter five, it happens after chapter four. If it's in chapter seventeen, it happens after what's in chapter sixteen. It's in a timeline that it predicts the major moments in Christian history, and that many of those moments have already been um, fulfilled in the fall of Rome and in the twentieth century, and that Christ's coming is in. So the whole Revelation maps out a timeline. Much of it has already happened, and we're waiting for the last part, the time of Christ. The futurist view, and this is the one that if you look up the internet, you pretty much see almost everything is this because it's really popular in the American churches. The Revelation, once again, is chronicled, but in this view, everything that's from chapter 4 to chapter 22 is only for the time immediately preceding the end of the world. So between John's time and the end of the world, there's nothing. And then chapter 4 brings on immediately before the end of the world. Now this view only really became popular, or a guy in the 1800s called Darby is the one who invented this way of uh, reading Revelation. But it became popular um, with the population, publication of what's called the Schofield Bible in 1910, and it took off in the US. And that's why... If you wanted to take this point of view, it's mainly American, not many other places hold on to it, but that's where it comes from. And you may have seen this book, The Late Great Planet Earth, Hal Lindsey. It was a very popular book that came out um, in the 70s on that point of view. And at the time, he made a prediction that since they saw that the, birth of it, the beginning of Israel was the major point that was predicted in Revelation, that that happened in 1948. So a generation afterwards, the whole of Revelation has to be finished, so about 1988, should have been the end of the world. Didn't happen, so they revised a generation to be 70 years, which was 19, uh, 2018, but still hasn't happened. But now, red is 2021. So maybe we've got a few years left. Idealist view is that re Revelation is not about history at all, but it's just a symbolic struggle between good and evil written in the book of Revelation, and there's no actual real history. And lastly, called the redemptive historical, is that Revelation, this is the one I'm going to be talking through, symbolically portrays events throughout history which is understood to be under God's sovereignty. That God will guide history until Jesus comes again to fulfill the end of the history. And this is the, the important part. The majority of the visions are trans-temporal in that they are applicable to the age of the church, which is the visions of John are applicable now. They're applicable in John's time and are applicable for now, most of them, not all of them. So in terms of the futurists and the historians trying to link Revelation to, to history, I think that is absolutely correct. Revelation does talk about history. But where we differ from that is they say it's a one-to-one. -one. It only happens once. But Revelation reveals continuously history. So let me just give you a brief example as we jump to some of the great passages. Okay, in Revelation 13, no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let him who is understanding reckon the number of the beast, for it is a human number. Its number is 666. Okay. Most of you have probably at some point heard that passage. What's it talking about? When was it? Who is it? You probably can't read that. So, if we take the words of um, Caesar Nero in Hebrew, 
Because in Hebrew, each letter has a number. If we take the word season zero in Hebrew and add up the numeric value, what number do you think we get? 666. And indeed, the word beast, if you take the Aramaic or the Hebrew word beast, add up the value of its um, letters, what number do you think you get? So back here, the number of the beast. When it says the number of the beast, it means literally the number of the word beast is 666. But it's also a human number. And its number is 666. So who is the beast? Quite clearly when John wrote Revelation, when he had his vision, he saw that Nero was being revealed as the beast. But if you keep reading Revelation further on, there's stuff that happens which was clearly not Nero. How does that work? And we jump on a little bit. Um, just go into the next thing. So, and then further on in Revelation, it has this passage. And the inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life, from the foundation of the from the foundation of the world, will be amazed when they see the beast. This is the key thing, because it was, and is not, and is to come. And in this part, John is talking about the same beast which he identified as 666 as Nero, but he says the beast was, is not, and is to come, using the, parroting the language that he uses of God, who was, and is, and is to come. John is saying the beast that he described was, is, and is to come. In his time, that beast was Nero. But his question to us when we read Revelation is, who or what is the beast now? Because it was and is and is to come. In this way of reading Revelation, it's not about one thing, but it's a way of understanding what is going on in our world. And particularly later on, we're going to look at chapter 17, 18, 90, about the beast and the woman riding on the beast and what it means about unveiling our current situation. This calls for a mind that has wisdom. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman Babylon is seated. Rome was built on seven mountains, the city of Rome. So clearly, John is also referring to the woman on the beast as being the city of Rome. Yet clearly further on, it is bigger than just the city of Rome. So part of reading Revelation, as I said, is unveiling. John says this is this vision that of our world. This is who it is in my time. Who is it in your time? Will you see and will you understand what it means? This is why it says in Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must take place soon. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and keep what is written, for the time is near. Now, right in what he was seen of what is and what is to be. 
So when we read Revelation, in John's time, it was what is and what was soon to be. When we read it in our time, it's what was, what is, and what is to be. Revelation is past, present, and future. And it's written in such a way, it's the amazing power of God's vision, that it unveils at any time in human history the truth of human history. And it points to a final end, which is future. And it talks about some things which has happened. But John said that this vision was for his churches then, in the year 90 AD. And it's for his churches now, in the year 2019. So, as we go through Revelation, it's an invitation to enter into a different way of seeing our world. An invitation to take the red to see our world differently the way you've seen it before. Trusting in God to unveil and show us then what it means to live His way. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for the mystery of your word, for the mystery of who you are. And as we read through and struggle with the book of Revelation, we pray that you'll give us wisdom and understanding to see, to hear, and to know, and then to live out what it means to be your people. In Jesus' name. Amen.